Welcome to Stories, a thread within the Protein podcast that features the stories behind the people at the intersection of community, culture, and technology. For this episode, we speak to Anushka and Pali, the co-founders of Templo, a branding and digital agency that focuses on creativity for change. Templo are long-standing members of Protein Studios, so it's about time we had them on the podcast to hear what they've been up to and what it's like to set up a company as a couple. Welcome to the Protein Podcast. Um, really excited to have both of you on today uh, to hear the story of Templo, um, where it's come from, you know, maybe where it's going. Uh, and why don't we just start with uh, some simple intros and what you guys might be known for. So I'm Anushka. I'm the founder and managing director of Templo. And I'm Pali Palabathanen, co-founder and creative director of Templo. Um, and I guess maybe just explain what Templo is. So we're a branding and communication agency based in Protein. Um, and we're, we're all about sort of using the positive power of design and using that for social change. Um, maybe it's worth just touching on a brief uh, sort of genesis story, how we came about. Um, Maybe it, it, it's worth talking about 10 years, but the decade before we set up um, Templo, we spent um, a long time at various sort of amazing agencies um, and felt really a, a dislocation between what the design, ag- design industry sees as design for social change and our respective migration um, journeys. So I grew up as a child refugee um, and experienced everything that comes with that you know, um, migrating to a new country, um, plugging into the system, welfare, um, food stamps, etc. cetera. Um, and then also Anushka's from an Armenian, Syrian uh, background. You, you can talk about that a bit more yeah, than yourself, but, um, um, but you know, that that's to do with war, genocide, and, and uh, um, yeah, and then migrating here to the UK. So, um, Really, it's um, and then what we wanted to do is use that sort of lived experience and and sort of try and channel that into seeing whether we can marry our sort of um, responsibilities as creatives, designers, and see if we can plug that and become part of like a sort of global dialogue um, for various other causes. So I guess that really um, when Templo set up, we applied that sort of thinking to the first cause that we chose to work on, which is for the um, highlighting the Sri Lankan uh, human rights atrocities um, run by the government slash um, army. army. Um, and what we wanted to do really is try and um, marry up the creative with the legal wrangling that goes on as well. So we had this like, I like sort of fuzzy idea about what we wanted to do. Cause I was really frustrated. Like, you know, when a tsunami happened in Japan, every designer, design agency, because they love the Japanese uh, cult, visual culture, they wanted to create something like, you know, that responded to that, but really it felt quite hollow. And then they just sort of entered it all into um, award schemes. And and so um, I, guess, I guess we wanted to do something a bit deeper and we chose Sri Lanka, because obviously I'm from, um, my family from Sri Lanka. And then we had this idea on the night bus, can we create this like stop torture campaign? But uh, we wanted to marry, that up with the legal aspect so we sort of joined forces with ITJP which is like 
kick-ass like human rights lawyers and journalists etc investigators and then that was the start of how we wanted to like take that model and then apply it up to everything else i mean you've touched on some really pertinent uh you know points there around impact you know around change around responsibility and um yeah there's not enough of that <laughs> i think i mean personally professionally um and would just love to hear uh, and you know impacts i mean they're all very big words and all very subjective words um but would love to maybe sort of start with sort of the impact piece uh and really I mean, basically, sort of how you define that. And I think there may be more specifically, without getting too quantified about it, but, you know, how you measure and track that, right? Because I think that that, that is certainly a key piece around change. Um, obviously, the topic or the cause or the, the mission, but ultimately, it's sort of like, well, what do you, and this isn't you, you, but I mean, generally us, yeah, what are we actually doing about it? So, yeah, like Pally said, we are cause-led. It's what we've always done. It's what we'll always do. So I think that's the kind of the number one sort of impact principle we have internally as an agency. It's, you know, we turn away so much work, but it doesn't meet our exacting ethical standards. And sometimes it can be projects that on face value seem to be ethical, you drill down a tiny bit and it's greenwashing or it's virtual signaling, it's whatever, you know, like all of these buzzwords that are everywhere at the moment. So it's first of just being absolutely authentic right the way through to our core and like our DNA as an agency. And then just for us, impacts in the wider world, we always talk about the proper systemic long-term change takes years, maybe decades. So the Stop Torture project that Paddy talked about that was our first client when we set up 10 years ago. We still work to them, with them today. You know, they had a project launching this week in Sri Lanka that we worked on. We're like, we're in it for the long haul. And sometimes meaningful change isn't, um, isn't so evident outwardly. It's like being in the room side by side. We've done, you know, in, in the early days a lot, we were literally in the room in the United Nations watching our campaigns change votes like international votes and lead to independent war crime inquiries um that's the sort of stuff that we get out of both and that's why we set up tempo in the first place so that's that's the kind of that's the kind of change that excites us and it's not overnight and it's not instant often sometimes it can be sometimes it can be a demonstration and it's like and and that's okay too but nine times out of ten the real change the proper change takes of decades um and just uh, sorry building on that i guess, I guess um it's also i always say this um i feel like the design industry gets paid to care so it's like a brief that arrives on your lap and it's a an amazing brief you work with them and you deliver that project for three what three six months it takes to mm. you deliver it you enter it into awards you put it into press and then they move on to the next uh the next um, sort of brief and I suppose the, the the projects that we've been involved with like the most in terms of impact change are the ones that as Anushka said we stay with it for um, well the Sri Lanka ones now 10 years running 
um, with climate just climate change committee. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all of our clients are like minimum three, four years. We start on one campaign, it evolves into the next campaign, and then you're you're a partner, a side by side partner in the room, able to push these messages into spaces that they, these organisations, these charities, wouldn't you know NGOs, whatever it might be, they would never get into normally. And it's like it normally starts with no brief. Um, uh, no. Well, the Sri Lanka thing was no brief, really, yeah. and it was it was sort of, um, and it's more of a discussion. And Anushka said you're you're sitting side by side at the table with people that, um, you know, like human rights lawyers, investigators, journalists, scientists, scientists yeah, data CEOs. scientists, exactly, and they can't do what we can do, and vice versa. And I think that's the true collaboration. I think it's about integrity as well, which I suppose is another one of those kind of authenticity, integrity, impact, one of those words that gets thrown around. But, you know, Pally and I, as I said, because of how exacting we are with our ethical standards, there is no, anytime we go through any due diligence process, that's never a concern, that's never a worry. I, we ne There's nothing offsetting what we do. Like there's no big corporate. Yes, our clients have got bigger in terms of organisations and kind of, budgets and that sort of thing over the years but they will that they all meet our sort of, yeah as i said ethical standards there's no there's no one kind of bankrolling this in the background basically no it's fascinating and i mean i i applaud you <laughs> hands down um i think it's rare that you'll come across a company or a, you know a start i mean like modern businesses you know small businesses you know it's startup mindsets but you know you're 10 years in protein's 20 plus years in but we're still sort of a bit scrappy um but to it you know to maintain well to instill and then maintain that standard is incredibly impressive and um yeah i mean it, it's yeah I, I applaud you <laughs> um i'm just 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 digging a little bit deeper into that is You've mentioned it a few times your ethics and your standards. Is that something that you publicly share? Is that something that is, um, I guess, sort of documented, or is it more of a like an instinctive, you know, impulsive reaction whenever a, a new brief or a new conversation is started? Um, I think we tend to be quite instinctive. So it's not. I know some agencies tend to put that kind of stuff outwardly facing in terms of like these are our criteria, you know, X, Y, and Z kind of thing. But we are generally quite instinctive, I think, with um, when we get briefs in, if something doesn't feel like a good fit or something. Does, we, I mean, I suppose it's our experience as well. So as Pally said, we've got we had 10 years prior to setting up Templo in industry. So we were already very good at kind of just analysing briefs and all that sort of thing anyway. And then we've then got an additional 10 years experience of the Templo kind of mindset. Um, and it just tends to be just, yeah nine times out of ten quite quite an instinctive yeah. process don't you think? And, I, and I, I feel like um we just relaunched our website by the way so we just we're, we're turning 10 this year yeah and um we've been able to which is pretty cool actually <laughs> we've been able to um organize all our work into these buckets of causes so there's six causes that we work along and we've we've, we've been able to demonstrate a whole bunch of work all our work meets and falls into this these sort of defined sort of categories and I feel like that's enough like to um you can't show that's, that's our filter isn't it really? yeah 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 and and just in terms of instinctive um 
I suppose just personally, I, I spend most nights sort of, if there's any piece of news, I, I spend most nights sort of research because I don't sleep, but that's a separate podcast in itself. <laughs> um, but I, I, I sort of try and see what everyone's saying across the spectrum, whether it's Tucker Carlson or BBC or CNN or Joe Rogan. It, it, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I try and get like a, a complete perspective across the board and that gives us a sort of understanding of projects when they come in that understand you know like understanding a landscape of whatever it is whether it's climate change or anti-corruption um, mining we, we're working with an anti-corruption organization called raid at the moment and they're sort of exposing um um the sort of mining practices and you know like child labor etc to get all the sort of cobalt for all our sort of devices this device we're speaking on but also our phones etc so um it that it's instinctive but it's also there's a lot of information that we we gather for for future reference well, are, are you doing a party just putting it out there 10 years i mean we've got some space downstairs guys you know that <laughs> No, we really, need to, we really need to get on that, but we really need to talk about it. <laughs> All right, let's chat about that afterwards. Um, yeah. Just will say, will say. <laughs> on the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, I'd love to sort of sort of move into the the you know it's still related to impact and the role of or the importance of sort of design or more specifically graphic design um as the what should we call it you know the channel the you know the format the mechanic like the discipline um the genre the the sector um so yeah however you want to respond to that you know a love of design firstly uh, but i think that you know the it's important and its role for communicating and creating impact you see i've got this like marmite relationship with branding firstly um i feel like um it's used to mask conceal wash um and and it's really essentially facades where you create these facades for things and um the problem is i can see through it all um it's a horrible sort of skill of mine um and but in in on the flip side i, I really love sort of whether you want to call it graphic design or branding in general, I love the ability to communicate effectively very quickly and cut through and break down sort of um, existing sort of structures. And um, I love um, being able to, um, yeah, it's it, like, even if it's like political tape, you know, a lot of like our work is political and ability to cut through all that. It doesn't feel like any sort of political party. I really like that um, aspect. And I also love the fact that you can start to very quickly glue lots of things together. I, those are two very key sort of um, aspects of the discipline, which I feel like um, we love to push into different territories. I think also, you know, we, Pally and I met at, um, Kingston University, so um, on the graphic design degree there, and, you know, aging ourselves here, but 20 plus years ago. And um, the way we were trained is design is it's all about problem solving, essentially. And how that looks is just like the final layer, but it actually, it's very strategic what we do. We, we are analysing the brief 
what's being said that's actually not written on the page. All of those kind of things, that's how we were trained. And that's what, you know, when we went into our agencies before we set up Templo, that's that's what we were, you know, that's what we kind of like honed our skills to do. And what we do as an agency, it's not like this kind of lip gloss and we're, yeah, graphic designers doing the, the, the typography and the color palette, et cetera. Yes, that's, that's the kind of the end result. But our value is using our, you know, that kind of design thinking, our creative problem-solving brains at that table we described previously with the CEOs, with the scientists, with, you know, human rights lawyers, whoever that might be. It's just another brain in the table and a different kind of brain at the table, I suppose. Yeah, no, I love that. And, yeah, loads of great examples of effective design in political campaigning of... I don't know, Shepherd Fairies and Obama's, you know, comes to mind or, you know, traditional, you know, advertising, right? (laughs) Um, And good copywriting, um, all sort of brought together, as you said, Pally, you know, just by, you know, that, that, that layout or, you know, that, that spread. So um, would love if you can, (laughs) Um, sort of one doesn't have to be one maybe a couple sort of projects you're most proud of um, maybe on whichever reason of you know impact or design or just um, you know the quality of the work so I want to talk about a recent project actually that's just come into the public realm which is called Free Syria's Disappeared and it's a coalition of leading activists NGOs charities working um yeah, working out Syria for Syrians um, to highlight the atrocities committed by Assad's regime. I mean, this is something, this is a cause that's completely fallen out of the news cycle. But, you know, again, because of who, who you follow and things, you know, there's, there was an attack on a marketplace the day before last and children are killed. And, and as Pali said, my personal connection with Syria, my maternal grandmother was born in Aleppo. We've done quite a lot of work in Sri Lanka and the, always really keen to do more for Syrians and um, for Armenians as well which is also part of my cultural heritage so for me personally um, that was a really uh, an amazing amazing um, project to work on I'm working with the likes of Action for Sama so I don't know if you've seen the documentary for Sama but you know having those people with us around the table and and yeah they've just bought a call uh, they've just bought a case to to court in America haven't they so it's both that what we did with the brand and uniting a coalition of, of different organisations and activists using design to join together and make one unified voice. And then, again, using visual identity to help push legal action. Um, so it was both personal and, yeah, just the, the sort of act of the, the, the design process bringing everything together. Also to give brand. them um, credibility, right, in the sort of political space, um, not looking disjointed, um, um, being able to effectively communicate um, the case, but also what they stand for, etc. That that's all part of the the bag, yeah. as it were. Uh, maybe just another project to throw in there is maybe um, our rebrand for Climate Change Committee. Um, I think Stop Torture is our blueprint. I've already talked about that a lot, but um, I think uh, we were quite nervous. For a long time to get into the climate change space, um, it just—it's quite messy. It's quite sort of um, 
like you're either um, you know gluing yourselves to floors uh, on banks and entrances, which is not our style, um, but or you're sort of denying completely, um, um, you know, it, it exists and it's a natural cycle, etc. And so it's really politically sort of um, a minefield. And so we were really nervous about it, and we did loads of research for like a couple of months um, as to sort of, if we were to do something like that, how could we apply our sort of thinking into that sort of space? Um, and then we we stumbled upon, they were called the Committee on Climate Change at the beginning and we changed their name um, afterwards to make it a bit cleaner. But I feel like that um, was a signal change as well. Not just, okay, find the visual identity. We, we had a lot of fun with that um, and it was quite a, disruptive brand as well they're i mean the climate change committee they're a, a sort of the the voice that sort of shouts down um the the uk government you know they like hold to, the government yeah exactly them. yeah um and so that was the first bit but what we really wanted to do because they produce like world leading like world class um climate data as well so that was our like we really wanted to use our sort of communication skills to i mean they're launching something right literally as we speak um to parliament uh, for their progress report and 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 so what we wanted to do was take that data and see if we could do sort of mad creative things with it to to sort of connect it not just to the um experts but also beyond that to the everyday people because there's so much about data being like skewed and so much misinformation both ways you know like the left can do it as much as the right and so we just want to like most of our work take that data and just tell it how it is yeah no it's amazing um love those both those uh, examples as well and and as said before you know really important projects so um and and i think you know as you framed it in terms of the role of branding in its most basic sense uh to give that credibility to projects that might not necessarily have access to it or can afford it um you know that legit legitimizes it but certainly just uh, it, it 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 gives it a, a bigger voice in the room um uh, and that yeah yeah like i said fully applaud you guys um love to just sort of switch a little bit if that's all right um really keen to hear some of the sort of early earlier stories of your sort of respective lives before you get together and we're going to get to that um uh, which <laughs> feels comfortable go first uh just in terms of um and really what i'm sort of trying to uh, you know just map out is some of the influences from you know the younger versions of yourselves uh, uh that have really uh you know shaped who you are today um so uh, yeah which <laughs> anushka pali whichever you want to go first just in terms of some of your earlier years, some of your, I don't know, family, um, uh, I guess, sort of uh, structures or influences. Um, yeah, we'd just love to hear about the younger Anushka. The younger Anushka was a door. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> no, but the... Yeah, Wait, a, pro a proper dog? Like geek, yeah, geek like head? Proper, like proper dog. I uh, like what the, what the teachers used to call... A complete all-rounder. <laughs> we, let's put that to one side for a minute. But like family structure-wise, um, so I grew up in London, um, and 
my mum's parents, so my nana and dad and my Middle Eastern grandparents, lived in the next street. So they were very much like my second set of parents. And all our weekends, I just felt very connected to that side of my kind of culture and heritage. And it was all, yeah, around the, the Middle Eastern barbecue and the, you know, in their garden and, yeah, Terrace House in London. And it was all very idyllic, but there's definitely that kind of, um, migrant mindset that was instilled and a certain work ethic that was, that was instilled in me from like the outset you know like my nana she was working in the factory in Lebanon you know when she was 10 and we'd say we were tired and she'd tell us off and she's like you don't know tiredness we used to live on one orange between seven of us and you know like you're just feeling like okay I need to work so there was just some real hard like work ethic instilled from the get-go really and and yeah I was um at school I did genuinely love like all subjects I loved school and at my A-levels kind of came to a crossroads it was like Oxbridge or art, like an arty design type subject um and so I went for graphic design because I was drawn to the problem solving part of it and that 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 was really exciting it felt like a hybrid of the two and so I did design got first got a job as a designer and then as I was kind of on that journey, I realized I love everything about the role apart from the actual design, if that makes sense. So I love the analyzing the brief, like I said, the problem solving, the presenting, yeah, getting to know the client, the relationships, all of everything apart from actually creating the design work. So that at that point, I decided to switch and I got a job as a junior account manager um, at another agency. I worked my way up to become associate partner and um, so I was there for nearly 10 years in the end so I was running that agency with the two creative directors and then 2013 we set up Tempo so that's kind of my my journey to here. Nice what was that agency before you set up Tempo? Uh, MB Studio. Okay cool. Um, brother sisters? Oh yeah I've got a sister I was like her, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm a sister. <laughs> I'm a, oh, yeah I'm a typical older sister obviously organized. I don't know. Analyze it well. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to go there. This isn't a therapy session. <laughs> um, cool. Um, Pally? Um, I mean, uh, you can imagine I grew up, um, um, as I sort of touched on, um, I, I st- sort of grew up and landed in um, Canada, my family, sort of Sri Lankan descent. Um, but I grew up sort of in Canada as a um, refugee um, and um, experienced, you know, that when you you start off as an asylum seeker and then, you know, you, you, you work your way up um, to getting refugee status um, and, you know, interesting to sort of crossing that border and, um, and then being dependent on, well, firstly, people's flaws um, and, you know, like, it's it's sort of poverty it's deep poverty in a western context so um you know we we literally had a floor between me my sister and my two sisters and my my mother so we we slept um sort of covered in a duvet um and that that really is a sort of um i don't know the spider-man moment <laughs> the sort of you know you fall into the ooze um um you know being dependent on welfare um getting Christmas presents from welfare, et cetera. You know, it, it really, um, I, I, I suppose this is why I'm so hell bent on what we do. Um, 
like trying to get to that authenticity because I can a lot of people need to um, be empathetic and put those feet in that shoes but I, I lived it I know what that feeling is you know so really wanted to tra- channel that sort of feeling you know that I guess it's anger frustration um, knowing what it's that that sort of inequality taking that sort of feeling and I wanted to do something um, and uh, sort of channel that but and I think design you know what really saved me is like my 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 love for visual communication like because I moved like about 30 times when I was a kid all, all throughout this sort of mess in Canada and but now in the UK um, but my ability to draw really well so I used to like arrive at a new class uh, classroom and then the first thing I would do is start drawing because it was my survival technique so start drawing and then naturally people came out with like whoa you know like that was my my way of sort of signaling and beating my chest and saying I am something I am here um and then yeah so uh, and then I was in you know uh, and then I fell into Kingston University because I happened to be in New Morden at the time New Morden's the biggest group of Sri Lankans in the UK <laughs> that's where they sort of all congregate and live and so I sort of by by proxy really fell into Kingston and Kingston happened to be one of the best design schools in in um, the UK and um, yeah and then I um, from graduating and learning how to problem solve then I sort of um, got my first job at IDEO which was I really liked the the think design thinking at IDEO and then um, I suppose I was like where am I going to see like an actual execution so um, I got my proper proper job at Johnson Banks and then I learned at Johnson Banks how to truly be able to um, you know everything to do with branding how to holistically um, um, and sort of um, take a project from beginning to end um, and then take and then after that I had a quick stint at Wolf Orleans which um, um, yeah all those kind of experiences sort of drew takes us back to Templar. That's an amazing story Pally. You still draw? Yeah, I try to. <laughs> well, I draw. There, there's two types of drawing, right? There's um, there's like sort of sketching, observation, and then I I draw every every day essentially to express an idea. That's something we try and get the teams to as well. Yeah, like, but that's two different that's, ty- types of drawing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There's drawing. There's drawing to kind of communicate an idea, and then there's just drawing out. Yeah, like you say, observation. Yeah, watching the world around you. Or is that doodling? Exactly. Mm. Mm. Um, or on your daughter's uh, lunchbox. Or maybe that's just a different form of... Oh, no, that was sculpted out of foil. Oh, okay. Upgrade. Um, so as a creative, you know, partnership, um, professionally and personally, um, I've got to ask, you know, how... Well, two parts <laughs> you got together it sounds it sounds at Kingston um but you know how's <clears throat> you know how does it work um you know or maybe not always work <laughs> just just quite just curious to sort of see how that you know how that relationship um within you know I guess your 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 two roles um it's perfect yeah, has, ev- has evolved it's a shame people can't see the body language of this conversation <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
um, yeah, so we met at Kingston, we were teenagers, um, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> there's that, there's that bit. Um, but then in terms of, yeah, like how it works professionally, right, so in the studio, I think it works beautifully, honestly, because we have totally, totally separate roles in the agency. So I am the MD, it's the running of the agency, it's the kind of, yeah, it's the client servicing, essentially. All of that kind of um, the functioning of the agency as a business, that's me. Pally's role is, of course, it's the creativity, it's leading the creative team, and it's two different sides of the same coin, basically, that work very, and we work very instinctively together. And, like, honestly, that that is, it does work really well. And, and also it's really lovely to see your partner in their kind of like best light. So to just kind of step back and see them, yeah, doing their thing. It's, it, that honestly is brilliant. It's like regular life that's the problem. Well, honestly. <laughs> that's where it all starts to fall apart, <laughs> where there aren't those clear defined roles. <laughs> that's when it gets messy. Yeah, that's but also, fine, but, that's behind closed doors. Yeah, but also just to add on to that, I suppose it's just logistics of, running a business and running a family I and you know dropping the kids off at school picking them up um different ages so one finishes at one time the other finishes you know all those kind of things that we have to rely on I mean because it's not this UK government that's going to help um families like us right so um um it's that's difficult to get right um what, what I would say um is quite advantageous though in the sort of working spaces the sort of subliminal sort of thinking that we have um like able to communicate because like you know when we're in meetings even through zoom actually we're able to sort of feel like you know someone one of us is uncomfortable where you know the conversation is going or we'll sort of you know we can we can sort of see that someone wants to say something it's those kind of things and tactics that are quite useful um, when it comes to a sort of working environment. And, and it's probably worth saying, but we actually don't, uh, when we get, a, you know, when we start working with people, we don't declare, cause that's weird. Like, oh, by the way, we're married. You know, that I feel like that's, um, it's never the right thing to, to sort of um, just come out with it straight away, I suppose. Um, but not because we're sort of embarrassed by it or, or we shy away from it. It's just, it's not important um at that stage but if someone wants to know more about us we're, we're super comfortable to tell them that yeah we, t we tend to deliver on something first and then it's weird it only became more of an issue during covid times because we're working this kind of remote way somehow on a zoom or whatever it's never like that natural moment where it just comes up in conversation where you're having a cup of tea before the meeting starts you know like pre-covid it was never something we even thought about but then there always kind of had to be a official moment where we kind of came out as married, if you know what I mean. And that just made it strange. So we just, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Good to hear. Um, any any tips uh, for other working couples out there for maintaining those, I mean, it's boundaries, right? Or oh, certainly clarity of those roles. And it sounds like you're very complimentary in, uh, you know, in your your skills or your focus or your or your capabilities um 
but yeah, I mean, if I know you might not, but <laughs> if there are any tips out there for anybody who's thinking about it or starting it or currently doing it? Well, I mean, this isn't a podcast about me, but yes, I mean, I'm, I met my wife through work um, and, and I think it's a really, um, you know, it's a really good indicator of a relationship, you know, because you're put into various stressful, high pressure, <clears throat> you know, scenarios that is all, you know, often not about, <clears throat> you know, you too, right? If there's a client, <clears throat> excuse me, um, or, you know, another party and, you know, there's also like a professional facade that is sort of created, um, you know, it, it says a lot. Uh, so, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for it because uh, it's, and I think especially as you mentioned during COVID when, uh, you know, a lot changed and has, you know, it hasn't gone back, you know, some has come back, but, <clears throat> you know, just enabling that flexibility of, you know, as parents and, you know, with kids to be able to have that, uh, that professional relationship, but also extend it to, you know, to your personal relationship within the context of a much more fluid and flexible, uh, you know, setup. I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it for sure. I think the key is definitely boundaries though, yeah. because, um, when we first started out without realizing it, like you wake up and just just start talking about a project literally open your eyes and just boom, 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 boom. and so certainly there are certain kind of really practical things we've got in place which is like yeah don't do that don't do that kind of thing or just as you're about to fall asleep or you know like things like that you just need to create some real defined kind of um spaces but i think there is some kind of inevitability like it like you talking about that stuff. like you're in a stressful period and just being conscious of this is seeping into our home life but the reality is whether you're married, not married, if you're a founder of a company, you never stop thinking about your company, ever. You're on, there is no holiday. There are no weekends. It's like, it's, you're, it's, it's, it's a baby in its own right, your company's, and it needs that level of love and care and attention for it to function and to thrive. So you can do certain kind of practical things, but I think part of just, I suppose, the burden of being a founder is you can never switch off. And if you can never switch off, you may as well do it with the person you love. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, that's sort of how we've made it. Yeah, I mean, so that, and, and, and that's why I advocate. Sorry, Pally. And because, you know, the other side of that for founders, you know, sole founders, you know, it gets incredibly lonely, right? If, if it is you that doesn't switch off because that is always in your mind and worrying or scheming or evolving and you don't have someone necessarily – on that level, you know, to share it with because they don't know the context or, you know, the situation or the detail, you know, that's, that, that takes its toll another way. So, um, yeah, that's why like I said, I think it's a, it's a great thing. Um, <clears throat> um, where should we go next? Um, Templo, the brand, um, as a branding agency, <laughs> does it have i'm just curious to know is there a message or a meaning behind the name um every, do you know what everyone asked me this it's like the number like you know when i do talks around the country it's almost the first question people like students ask me what does templo mean wait wait what about the work <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think we, i think firstly we were we were um so it, it, it's a cultural issue as well because like our name 
calabathanin isn't so, um, you know, it doesn't roll off the tongue in a Western context. Um, so that was at the table. Um, I think we want, we didn't want to define it as well. We didn't want to have a name, but just defined everything and said every, because also we didn't quite know, we kind of knew what we wanted to do, but we didn't, we weren't able to express that at the time. So, uh, but we wanted something solid, a five letter name. Um, I happened to be in a jungle in South America, came across a Templar. Um, and I was like, as soon as I saw it, it was the word, but um, it, I knew that was the word. And, you know, it's, it, I think, well, now that I can sort of post-rationalize it, I can sort of think about why I liked it. It was this sort of ancient structure that still stands the test of time to this day. There's a mystery to it. There's a sort of spirituality to it. It means temple in English, but, uh, it, sorry, in Spanish, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Spanish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, there's a there's a mystery, and I feel like um, if you look at, as I mentioned, we've just relaunched our sort of um, website and how we sort of present ourselves. Weird thing, also, just to rebrand your agency, is as it were, really weird process. Um, we 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 tend to do that for everyone else, and we sort of had external voices, um, and we're still having external voices sort of telling us what they. They think about us as well so I, I feel like um but if you look at what we're trying to do now is we're trying to connect our sort of store current story to our past as well our ancestors where we came from our, our sort of the journey of you know just in terms of my personal sort of um ancestry you know we, we come from a family of carpenters like that creativity is in our sort of dna our bones um and we want to make sure that um they get the credit for um our work uh, in equal measure um yeah it's their sacrifices that have enabled us to to, to set up tempo you know like yeah my my grandparents never went on a single holiday or a meal out in their entire lives so that we could have a certain kind of life for ourselves and then that meant that we could make choices like go into a creative in like education and like all of these decisions that came before us meant that we could do what we want to do and love what is that line that they were there so we could be here or something like that no that's to do with that's more of like a racist thing yeah but, but yeah. you could sort of twist we, that way we, no we are here because you were there that's the line yeah. that's the line or there's like no mud no lotus you know like that's it's an interesting sort of um correlation to what what um, where about oh, I love that and as parents um, I would love to hear your sort of I mean approach uh, in terms of em embodying you know these sets of learnings as as you are kids um, or were kids you know into your own kids and um, and obviously we live in a very different world um as we were you know as we were growing up you know politically socioeconomically um oh yeah with the privileges that come with it um but yeah i mean would love to sort of uh you know see how they are that those sort of i mean approaches those ethics those values uh you know are, are being instilled today there's a few things really so I think Pally you do struggle a bit with the fact that our children have a privileged upbringing 
it's hard like it's really hard hard for you to there's a part of you that resents them oh yeah definitely (laughs) for the lovely nice stable life that they have but thank god we can give it to them so i want the inflatable tent (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so there is a kind of i can now i can kind of see when my grandma was trying to almost shake us and say like you can't be tired you don't know what tiredness is like with each generation it does it does water down because you don't feel that burn in the same way that they felt the burn when they arrived in a new country and didn't speak the language and had nothing and like Pally was on the floor like you you tell the story it's a story it's not a lived experience but you know we'll take the children to Sri Lanka this year, they will see certain things with their own eyes. And that's part of an education and kind of like the wider world that we live in. And I think a lot of it just has to be seen firsthand. Um, yeah, I think for me personally, it's interesting because I, I have, I'm from like a mixed heritage. My dad's English and my mom spoke about, um, but of course our children are mixed race. And it's interesting for me personally to to be raising, you know, my, my I suppose my lived experience has been pretty much as a white tanned person, but to see my children grow up in this country as brown people and how my thoughts and understanding around kind of racism were actually from a it's been a real education for me, you know, our daughter already experienced racism a couple of times in her, her previous school and navigating that and the the kind of burden of needing to be the one even though you're victimized you're the one educating and it's your responsibility to educate but do you need to and how you kind of again back to boundaries like where do those boundaries lie so you know we have a lot of open conversations around like it's great to be different in terms of all, all and all the meanings around that whether that's race or whatever um yeah we try to instill our kind of our values as as tempo that's that goes right through into our family kind of values at home as well also it's worth um um saying that they get taken into the studio as well um when when possible i feel like that's well that's a nice thing to see um see what they're doing but see what we're doing sorry um but then also you know as we're delivering projects as we're doing things so for example when when i was going to the united nations i was sort of packing I took them into the studio, was packing loads of sort of campaign material like T-shirts, tote bags, and then, you know, playfully putting it on them and then, you know, explaining what it's for, et cetera. Those kind of things sort of, I think it's like osmosis seep in. Um, and, and then they start to, you know, we, we, we just launched the, the Venice Biennale this year. And it's all about um, sort of diasporic sort of rituals, et cetera. And, through the design and through taking some of the test vinyl that I brought home for my daughter to play with. And now it's like sort of pasted on her walls, et cetera. She, she, you know, she can, we can start to talk about what these pieces, these um, pieces of artwork or like, you know, there, there was a national billboard campaign. I went and took them both to see it with their own eyes. And, and then they can, Oh, you know, um, Madab's work is about um, in, you know, life and death, in ritual hindu ritual you know or sandra's piece is about sort of um um the the labor um um w- women in andorra um, andorra women? Angola. angola sorry 
um, you know, cleaning, laboring, and, and, you know, so we can talk about those themes and things that seep, hopefully seep in like sediment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that touches on multiple points around sharing those li- lived experiences, but equally, uh, you know, inspiring that next generation of, you know, that are coming through and, um, you know, providing them those opportunities that, uh, you know, that others haven't had before. So um, I'm just conscious of time and <clears throat> I can't <laughs> talk to you guys without recognizing let's chat this with harry um i think you are our longest serving studio members um so i i i thank you firstly (laughs) um and very appreciative um but wanted to quickly sort of close out uh, as it is uh, and you mentioned we call them dirty words by the way anushka um you know these words that have lost all meaning um, due to overuse or, uh, you know, <clears throat> um, you know, bad framing or just green, whatever the context, but, you know, community is our, is our, is, is number four in our series, uh, and certainly our most, um, most relevant and recent. Um, and we'd just love to hear if you don't mind, um, a sort of your, <clears throat> you know, what community means to you. I think sort of broadly, generally, and then sort of specifically around, uh, you know, studios and, and what we've created uh, in Shoreditch. Um, well, it's like, yeah, there's lots of different layers to that question, isn't there? There's the kind of, there's our cultural community and, and the kind of, yeah, the communities in our, our heritage, really, and that brings a certain richness. There's the kind of wider societal community and, the, yeah. And then at, in terms of, Shoreditch and protein, well, obviously we love it. We've been there for so long. I think one huge part, I've got, I've got to give Harry a shout out because I feel like he's so intrinsic to the, the atmosphere and the, yeah, the sense of community um, in the space. And funnily enough, we were talking about community before we came on this conversation because we're working with Atelier 100 who are like an incubator startup between IKEA and H&M and they're all about championing new and up-and-coming talent in London. And actually through that project, it's tapping us into a whole new creative community in London that we never, well, some of whom we had, but a lot of new kind of community members, which is such an enriching and amazing thing to be a part of. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything. No, um, <laughs> it's just, I, I didn't know that, by the way. Um, but if I think about it, all the like, you know, we were there pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and post-pandemic. So um, it's you know, and being able to, what I love about the space is that the flexibility, and um, that's allowed us because we we've been we we started life quite, as I said, quite small, sort of nimble, and it's allowed us to to sort of be nimble, also now start to scale up and. Um, that's you know that allows us and also i love the energy as well you know that i think that like the community within this space i, I love I, i've been in agencies where you're, you're trapped within the walls and this is it you know and, I, and actually the energy feeds off one another and i like that um and i don't want that to to sort of change in terms of our sort of how we like to run the studio yeah no great to hear that and um 
yeah, Harry deserves all the love uh, that we we give him. Um, interesting, you mentioned the Atelier One Hundred actually. So I was gonna. Uh, I'm glad that came out because we were actually working on that project before IKEA took over in Hammersmith um, around a sort of similar, well, we called it startup mall with you know H and M uh, subverting the retail spaces. So I know just as a little add on when I saw it launched. And that you guys did the design, it was like, oh, awesome! <laughs> it's a it's a great hands, uh, and yeah, no, really, uh, yeah, another great project uh, that you guys have done. So, um, just to wrap up, two final questions. One, um, what's the best way of someone getting in touch if they want to talk about a project or um, or anything else? Uh, well, we've got on our um, on our website and your shiny new website. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, we've got you know various sort of contact emails there whether it's um to work with us um, um in terms of um being part of our team or to 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 sort of reach out to us on about certain projects that are potentially we could collaborate on uh or you can find us on instagram i think instagram is probably our, our sort of biggest sort of call in terms of our own community uh at uh, templo with all underscores in between the letters Cool. And final question, who would you like to hear from on the podcast? I'd like to hear from more women who are founders of companies, organizations, etc. So I recently read that there's only 1% of creative agencies that are founded by women, which is just like blew my mind. So it doesn't have to be creative, but I just think it's really interesting to hear that perspective and kind of the balance that not the balance I have but that's another dirty word <laughs> balance doesn't exist but just just the kind of the considerations around not necessarily being a, a mother but just everything that comes with being a woman in that kind of role would be really interesting I, I can't think of a specific person that was enough good shout I'll send you uh Pip Jameson's podcast um oh yeah Great, great. I lived. I sat three, three rows away from her. I need the podcast. We probably heard it. <laughs> That's what I mean. Oh, we love Pip. Uh, any suggestions from you, Pally? Any voices or people uh, you've sort of been inspired by or read about or listened to recently? What's What's quite interesting about, um, I think the best thing about my role um, is I get to work with people that have completely different skill sets to me, um, different language, different ways of like referencing things. And that's like my sweet spot, absolute sweet spot. So like, you know, um, like the human rights lawyers, for example, or um, like climate climate data analysis, they're, they're, well, and also because they're, they're, they kind of fall into weird sort of creative, um, uh, in, in five minutes, five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah they they sort of, they they have weird sort of creative brains in themselves, and I think um, that's where we sort of collaborate really well. And I think you know getting their sort of sort of um, um, viewpoints within this sort of context would oh, be quite so interesting. You're thinking they like Chris Stark. So yeah, Chris Stark. Chris Stark would be, He'd yeah. be amazing person to get. With we could link you up with. Him. Yeah, people like that. I went around the houses. 
I mean, good context, though. Um, <clears throat> Anushka Pali, thank you so much for this. Um, it's been incredible to hear your story. And um, I mean, when... I don't know, I missed the one. Maybe there's one final, final question <clears throat> about anything about what's coming up, like what's next for Templo, anything that you're really excited about that you're seeing or you're working on or, or, or um, yeah, or where you guys are going? Um, well, just in, again, an internal thing. We're really excited to be expanding our team. Like I think in the next 12 months, we'll probably be taking on a couple of more people as well. So that's something really, something really beautiful around that kind of legacy piece and being able to instill and, and impart some of this learning um, to kind of the next generations so, slightly similar to what you were talking about in terms of the children kind of piece so that's that's brilliant um and also just in terms of expanding slowly because we've been organically growing it's also trying to retain the ethos um which i think is possible we're just trying to we, we've we've sort of um cemented the, the sort of methodology if you like um but it's now taking that um loosening up the belt a little um but still staying within those sort of defined causes i think that's it's a, it's um i think that's like sort of taking our experience as founders to a sort of next level where you can sort of um um sort of develop develop the team develop the sort of working culture here at templar but we've got some really exciting projects coming up like STEMETS. We've rebranded STEMETS, which is an amazing organization that gets girls into like STEM type subjects. Um, we're just working on the next Venice Biennale. What else have we got coming up? Love well, it's, it's not just that, but it's like all the sort of seeds that we've we planted. So um, the Sri Lanka stuff will keep on bumbling away. Um, but then, as Anushka mentioned, um, three series disappeared. Um, we planted that seed, but now it's it's um, developing it and pushing it forward. Um, hopefully, to, towards a demonstration in autumn as well. So that's I, I don't like to drop things and leave it, and I, I, we 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 sort of want to um, push that and harness that. More work with the United Nations. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, it's going to be a busy year. I'm already sweating. <laughs> so impressive guys um well thanks very much guys this has been uh an amazing to um you know to really properly have a good chat yeah. <laughs> um you know just call it what it is uh, but as i said more importantly just to hear that story and um yeah again full respect and and um and, and creds on, on on what you guys have achieved so yeah thank you very much thank you thank you